The following program was pre-recorded on WFAN. It's time for Hello, My Name is Craig, our weekly candid conversation about gambling addiction. It's supported by the Council on Compulsive Gambling of New Jersey, 800-GAMBLER. Now, here's Craig Carton. Good morning and welcome to another edition of Hello, My Name is Craig. Craig Carton with you for the next 30 minutes, a frank, open, honest conversation about gambling addiction and addicts like uh, myself. And, of course, my uh, right-hand man here, Danny Trelawa with Epic Risk Management. Danny, good morning. How are you, bud? I'm great. How are you today, Craig? Doing good. Thanks so much for uh, spending a few moments with us. And uh, happy to bring in from New Jersey, Jim, who, like Dan and myself, is a gambler in recovery, so is a compulsive gambler. Jim, good morning, and thank you so much for your time today. Good morning. Good morning. So, uh, if you don't mind me asking, uh, when was the last time you made a wager? May 1st of this year. Wow. Okay. Well, congratulations on making it this far. How do you feel? I, I feel really good. Um, things, are, things are going well. Good. Uh, is it fair for me to assume that you might have tried recovery before and, uh, you know, kind of, you know, went back to your bad ways, or is this the first time you've tried to avoid gambling? No, your, your first statement was correct. I've um, celebrated too many 90 days. I understand. Well, listen, you got to keep getting back up on the horse, and you've done that. You haven't given into it, so uh, you should be proud of that because that's not as easy as people might think. Like we pay lip service to it, but you know the the pull of the addiction is very strong. Let's go back in time a little bit. When did you first start gambling? Um, well, my first bet was when my mother bought me a lottery ticket when I was ten, and I won, and I bought. Two candy bars and kept a dollar. I won two dollars off of a dollar lottery ticket. Okay. Um, but the first time, and I and so in high school, I was um, I was an absolute nut, and um, and I drank and got in trouble and did a whole bunch of, you know, uh, things that were like action, like gambling, but weren't gambling. Mm-hmm. But the first time I um, I really realized, holy crap, this is what I am was um, I was in Costa Rica on a trip, a, class, a trip for, um, I went to American University for a semester, and it was three weeks we were in Costa Rica. And the first night there, I lost higher uh, trip money. I was like, holy crap. And, and I remember being at the casino, and I bet $2.50 or two pesos and 50, two and a half pesos. And a woman, they looked at me like, you're doing that? And I said, and I go, por que no? And the woman goes, poor kid, no, I bet I lost. And I knocked on my professor's door in the middle of the night. And I said, I lost all my money. My mom's a compulsive gambler. And I don't know what to do. And she said, I'm sorry, you have a, you had a bad mom, which made me feel uh, wow. self-conscious. And, and, she get, and she gave me enough money to get me through. And, I, you know, and I, when I got to the airport in, you know, in the States, I got the money. Because back then, you couldn't, there were no such thing as sure. international ATMs. Sure. Anyway, so that's so so that that so that that I got you. So it, it became a problem for you pretty quickly. Yes, I, my alcohol addiction or my alcohol abuse transferred to gambling pretty quickly. I basically could not drink anymore. My uh, my freshman year in college, when we went we went on the first beer run. I went to school with my the other biggest drinker in high school and. They said, how much beer do you want? And we've said, um, we need a case and a half because we knew that 
my freshman year in college, my tolerance was 18 beers. Hmm. And I just couldn't, I couldn't keep up with that. And somehow my body kind of shut down on that, and then gambling took over. So gambling replaced drinking for you? Correct. Got it. So I, I wonder, you know, I always thought because of my background in the gambling world, I owned an offshore casino in Costa Rica. I built websites for every major sports handicapper in this country back in the late 90s. And I knew the business inside and out. I knew the perils of it inside and out. And I, I remember vividly saying to myself, you know, seeing other people make bad gambling decisions and fall down the rabbit hole, that there was no way that was ever going to happen to me because I just knew too much about the business and saw it happen. And then obviously I go down that same exact road. And I wonder for you, you know, you kind of nonchalantly referenced that your mom is a compulsive gambler. And I would think that you saw things as a young man or even a, as a child that would have made you say, I'm never going to go down that road because I saw my mom in this position or that position. And I wonder how you reconcile that. That That is really on point. And so it is a conundrum. It's a paradox. I'm the middle child of three boys. And um, for whatever reason, when my mom addiction came out, it really impacted me. My older brother was going to college. My little brother was five years younger and I was there. And, and so I hated gambling more than, than anybody. And I was ashamed of it. I didn't want people to know that my mom was a compulsive gambler. You know, I've had what I call sort of traumatic experiences. Like my 13th birthday, my mom was supposed to come pick me up. And this is, where I, oh, I can't believe, and so she calls, and my parents are divorced at this time, and my dad gives me the phone, and she's in Atlantic City, and she says she can't come. And I'm like, Mom, just come. And she says, she uses the word can't, and that, that really pissed me off. And mm-hmm. I'm like, what do you mean? I'll wait, Mom, come. And she didn't come. And so, and then I used to tell her I hate her when I saw her, and she would just say, I know. And so... She was, my mom was kind of cold also, and, and, and my brother too. And so it doesn't make any sense is what I'm saying. So I, I hated gambling more than anybody, and I'm the one that became a compulsive gambler. Hey, Dan, let me let you jump in yeah. here. Is there any you know, statistical data, empirical evidence that would suggest that you're more susceptible to gambling or a problem gambling if you have a close relative that does as well? Yes, there is a very, very, very uh, strong um, correlation and connection there. It doesn't always mean that someone will develop a gambling problem, but the, the odds of developing, so to speak, the risk of developing a problem is increased when two things happen, the age of onset, right? The, Jim, you were exposed to gambling at an early age, and you had a good experience with it. You know, you won something of tangible value. Sometimes it's not about winning something of value. It's about being close with family members. This, this is a unique one because, you you know, Jim, you hated gambling. And I, I, there was a point I hated gambling, too, in my life. But it was a thing that I kept doing. And, you know, it, it, sometimes it mystifies us because gambling fills that void. It's that action or escape. It's a coping mechanism. We can use gambling just like we use drugs and alcohol for any number of reasons. Let me stop you there for a second. And I apologize for interrupting you, Dan. That's yeah. the first time in the almost two years we've done this show that you said something that's foreign to me. And I, I want you guys collectively, if you don't mind, to walk me through. When you guys both have said now that you hated gambling, Yeah, I loved yeah. it. 
Like at uh, no point did I see gambling as a burden or as, you know, I recognize obviously in retrospect, you know, all the damage it did, but I never grew to hate it. I never had one of those moments where I was, you know, like pissed at the bottle or, you know, that type of thing. I loved it. I remember getting oh, oh. vividly angry. And I'll, I'll, I'll yeah, Jim, I'll start and then you can chime in because I'm sure we share similar. Yeah. You and I have spoken about this. I remember the last month or two before I was caught and before I lost my job. And it was like at the very late stages. The, I, I didn't know another way to start my day. I didn't know another way to operate in life without having it there. So it was almost, I always make it akin to a, um, a dysfunctional relationship that people keep going back to. You, you know it's not healthy for you. You know you should probably get out of it and move on, but somehow you keep going back to it. And there are days that I absolutely loved it, but as I got closer to my end time, I hated it. I just did not have the love that I had for it that I had experienced in the past, and I just despised it. There were days that I was so angry all the time. Um, that definitely happened to me. Jim, can you add on that? I, I can add on that. So uh, I'll say that I hated it as a child, but I loved gambling even though I knew it was destroying me. Mm. as an adult and i can tell you right now i have no desire to gamble and i've Good. you know i've had time together i've put time together and and i have a lot there are things that gambling does is it gives me an escape from other things but there is no place right now that i would feel any more comfortable than than sitting at a poker table because i'm there i don't have to worry about the world Everybody at, and I'm talking about an underground poker table. That's what I really love. And everybody there calls themselves degenerates. There's a lot of that action of crazy stuff going on. And, and that, I, I can't say that I, that I didn't love that, but it was also destroying me at the same time. So um, you, it's kind of a weird love-hate type of thing. Sure. That, that you can have. I'm sure there's a lot of aspects of your story we're unfortunately not going to be able to get to today, but I was hoping, if you don't mind sharing, when before you went to your first meeting or before the you uh, took ownership of having a problem, most of us had, you know, that last night, you know, that bottom of the barrel moment, something took place, whatever it might be, that led us, you know, even against our will, to go to a meeting or acknowledge that we need help. And I'm wondering if you don't mind sharing, you know, the first time you decided to get help, what was that, you know, moment for you? Well, unfortunately, the first time was I was quite young. I am 49, and I was 21 the first time I went to a meeting shortly after I could legally gamble in Atlantic City. And um, I had was at a party at the shore, and um, everyone was sort of passed out, and I didn't – and I just – I never was really comfortable in my own skin, which is why I think I gambled to some degree. And I left the party with like a six pack of beer in my hand and was, was at the shores going straight to Lank City. I puked and passed out, hit the guardrail, boom, went all the way across, hit the grass, came all the way back. It's the middle of the night, got straight, went to Lank City, got, drove into the parking lot. The woman looked at my car and said, what are you doing? I said, I'm here. And I just parked. I gambled. I lost the first credit card I had, which was a thousand bucks. I somehow made it home with steel from the car on my dad's Volvo, uh, dragging it, dragging it. And uh, I called my dad 
from a pay phone. I said, Dad, the car's all messed up. He met me at an auto body shop, and I also told him about the $1,000. And he was like, knowing my mom, he was like, well, if you – I wanted him to pay for it. And then he took me to uh, a GA meeting, and I thought that GA was a scam at that point. Got it. We're going to hear more from uh, Jim and Dan in just a moment. This is Hello, My Name is Craig. Back to more of Hello, My Name is Craig on The Fan with your host, Craig Carton, and supported by the Council on Compulsive Gambling of New Jersey, 800-GAMBLER. Welcome back to Hello, My Name is Craig. Dan Trelaro, Epic Risk Management. And uh, from New Jersey, Jim's uh, been sharing his story with us. So uh, the first time you, you need help, your dad's the one that drives you to GA. Because, you know, he lived with your mom and recognized the signs. And, you know, you told the story about losing the 1000 bucks on the credit card. And you were anti-GA, which a lot of people are at first. Because it's so daunting and overwhelming and intimidating and all that stuff. Did you, quote-unquote, go straight for a little while after that first visit? Or did you uh, kind of blow it off? You know, it's hard. My, my memory is never as great about things. But I, it, I, didn't, um, I didn't last for very long. And then... Right before my 22nd birthday, you know, drinking and gambling still intertwined. I got a a a gambling DWI. I uh, was out drinking, and that this time I uh, I decided to play the game of throwing the coins at the uh, you know at the toll and and going right through. And I got right. pulled over, and uh, on the way to Atlantic City. Um, so obviously. Being that, it couldn't have been that long if that happened, you know, sometime shortly after that. Sure. So for yeah. all the different times that you've tried to get help, that you've wound up going back to gamble again and kind of restarted your clock, is there any commonality in the way you processed going back other than just the allure or the pull of it or the the need to do it? Did you try to convince yourself at any point, hey, it's been, you know, three months, I'm good, I can handle this? Or was it just... The amount of time you were, quote-unquote, sober or clean didn't matter. The draw was just too strong for you. I mean, uh, there's been so many different ways, but I can tell you one common way that I've gone out there is I've convinced myself that I, I need to make a little bit of money. And and so, you know, poker, which oftentimes is, is my gambling of choice, but there, I've gambled on everything, Um if you play really tight, you, you know, you can win money. And mm-hmm. so I can tell you almost every single time that I used poker to go back out, I went. I play, it's, no, it's no fun to play super tight, but I went and I played. And maybe for one or two sessions, I made money. Um, so I tricked myself, and which is really dumb. Like I, I, you know, like, I am not a dumb person, and it, that doesn't make any sense, but... That's what I've done. God, Dan, that's that's uh, sadly the normal for us. The the rationalization that takes over what otherwise would be a really smart brain. Yeah, yeah. and that's the power of addiction. You know, yes, yes, there are certain times where we can feel as if we have better odds, or we're, our skill will help um, help us kind of work out a win, and and we try to, you know, manage that and justify it in our brains. But at the end of the day, we have this switch 
that we just don't process gambling the same way as a person who doesn't have a problem. Because for a majority of Americans, gambling is a form of entertainment. The concern, Craig, and you and I have talked about this, is that the accessibility and availability is now so widespread, it's, it's reaching people at an earlier age. People who may not have experienced or tried it out that early in their life are now trying it and experimenting, which sets us up for potential for harm across a spectrum uh, just for so many more Americans. But you know, going back to what Jim was saying, yeah, poker is one of those games that you fold a hand if you're not good. But, you know, there's just something inside of us that we just don't process the gambling the same way as right. someone who doesn't have a problem. So, Jim, let me fast forward, uh, if you don't mind sharing. What happened mm-hmm. on May 1st that you went back and made a bet? Um, well, I mean, I, that was the last bet. But um, um, so I, I do have, like, when you're – a compulsive gambler, or at least me, you put yourself, like I have been in, sort of lived a life where I'm always trying to prove my worth. You know, like I have got a lot of different advanced degrees and and I did that to try and prove to family or somebody else, hey, look, and and it never really works. And so there was something that I don't really want to talk about, but that was... Um, very, very difficult in my life. And so I was gambling to avoid that. And then I was sort of almost obsessing over that to avoid the gambling. And so May 1st came and I was just like, I just had, I I was like, I have to go to rehab. I have to get away. I have an amazing sponsor who um, spent time in jail. It was the very opposite of me. I have my doctorate and he had, and he's, he got his high school education in jail, but he's my sponsor. And I actually bet at his, his poker clubs before he came to GA, which is kind of funny. Um, and I just said to him, I said, Lorenzo, I have to get away. And then I made sure I got away and struck while the iron was hot. Uh, you know, I, I told my supervisor, you know, this is what I'm going to do. And he was, and they're supportive. You know, I'm a teacher, I'm a teacher and and I don't care. And by the way, part of my new recovery, and this is not just a, um, it's not just something I'm doing impulsively is I have to be open and honest with who I am and accept who I am. And that's one of the amazing things about my sponsor is that because he's been to jail and, and, and he was, you know, put away on Rico charges and everything else, um, He's had to live an open and honest life, and it's so freeing for him, and he is so successful now. Well, well, let me walk you through that. Um, And I know you're working to get there. I can tell you that what Mm -hmm. your sponsor has said to you and his life story, it couldn't be more on point. When you you get to a place in recovery, and I recognize there's no such thing as one size fits all, and I want to be respectful of that, that everyone's got their own journey here. But I think one of the aspects that is very similar for a lot of us who feel like they have conquered the addiction and are in a really good place. And I think, Dan, you know, you speak to this as well, is that we never got to that place until we started living our life in a completely transparent, open, and honest manner. And we spent so many years while we're gambling doing the exact opposite. We lie to everybody in our life about gambling. We start lying about dumb things like, what vegetable am I picking at the supermarket because lying becomes the go-to. And once you get to a place where you recognize just being honest and wearing it on your sleeve 
and you know, no pretense to who you are, what you've done, and who you want to be. That is the most um, pivotal and powerful change in your entire life. And Dan, you can speak to that too. Yeah, I agree. It's the transparency and it's the openness, and it's 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 different for everyone. And Craig, you hit it on the head. We start lying about things that don't don't even pertain to gambling. It's yeah. just the lying is just easier than telling the truth, and and it could be many reasons. You know, it could be because we're not comfortable, or we don't think people will like us for who we are, or we don't want people to see the true us, the masks that we wear to hide things. That's a whole other conversation. But it's the honesty because it's. it's there was a professor out of Boston University one time who said the greatest lies are the lies that we tell ourselves. And, you know, overcoming those lies, the ones that we try to convince ourselves of being true, and stripping that down and getting that out and just living a life with purpose, uh, with meaning, and just being transparent um, and vulnerable, that's hard. Because in addiction, it's all the opposite, just like you said, Craig. And you know, it's life-changing. It really is. Creating a new life where the gambling no longer fits in instead of trying to just keeping the gambling out of our life is a big transition. Jimmy, before I let you go, uh, two things, if you don't mind. One, mm-hmm. and I apologize for asking this because it's going to come across a little douchey, and I really don't mean that. <laughs> Why do you think this time you'll stick to the recovery and get past you know, 90 days, four months, six months, a year. Why do you think you'll be successful this time? Well, kind of what I was starting to say is that I'm, I am being open and honest. I've been, because I felt shame when my mom was a compulsive gambler, I've felt shame my entire life over gambling. And so I've been in the closet. So I am being open and honest. And so I went to the a rehab and um, for the end of the school year last year, and this year at the first meeting with my um, social studies department, I said, you guys need to deserve to know where I was. You know, five teachers covered my classes. But, and so I was telling it because I thought they deserved to know, but I was also doing that for me because I'm telling you, man, living, living a life in the closet is really debilitating. So... I'm sorry. No, um, I respect it. So, so, and, and then another sort of more trivial answer to that is that I remember being 17, sitting on my porch with a bunch of friends who all partied like me, but they were all going to like good schools. They all like had a plan for life. And I kid you not, I said to them, I said, I just want to party until I'm 50 and then I'll just die and I'll be happy. And I don't want that, you know, and I'm going to be 50 November 11th. And so what's different? What's different is I'm going to, you know, like, uh, and also I've been in GA. I have a lot of, you know, knowledge about addiction, like, you know, um, and, and whatnot. And like my mom never was able to, because I I remember when she was like in her seventies, I made her go to some GA meetings when I was doing the right thing. And, And when you're that old and you've been gambling your whole life, it's like you got to look back at your life and be like, what the frig? You know, like, yeah. and, and I don't want to do that. I've had a lot of successes for sure in between, you know, like, like I, my life is not a waste, but I, I, I can't picture myself doing this, you know, again. And so I'm, I'm really doing a lot of things differently and I'm just, I'm smarter, I'm wiser. And, um, and, and I just have to. And you, 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 uh, you picked a profession that fascinates me. 
because you picked a profession where you have an impact on young people. And I don't think that's by mistake. I think that's a part of your fabric of your soul of who you are that, yeah, yeah listen, you messed up. You know, you, you, you fell into a trap that your mom fell into and you couldn't get out of it. But there's a really good person deep down inside there that's screaming to let him out. And it's no surprise to me that you chose a profession where you can use your life experience to guide and direct young people to hopefully not make the same mistakes. And you need to hear that we're proud of you, that it's okay to be flawed. It's okay to have, you know, gone back, you know, and taken two steps back for the three steps forward. And that's a natural part of this and that you're going to get there and that there are people out there, myself, Dan, you know, who have your back and your sponsor who has your back. And it's okay to not be okay some days as long as you pick up the phone and you share that with someone who can talk to you before you go down the bad road again. And I just think, you know, you're very brave uh, to come on the radio and share that story. And people hearing your story are better off for hearing it. So know this, know that by sharing your story and being a voice for the thousands of people that don't know how to process it or that are at the very first step of this, your story is helping them. And I hope you continue to tell it. And I'm, I'm grateful that you did on the show. And I'm very proud of you for doing it. Thank you, man. Thank you so much. Well, thank you. Yeah. That, that'll wrap it up for uh, this week's edition of Hello, My Name is Craig. That's Jim. And uh, we'll be thinking about you, Jimmy. And, of course, Dan Trelaro, Epic Risk Management. Always good having you here as well, Dan. We will do yeah. it again uh, next Saturday, of course. And uh, you got Joe and Evan coming up. And then Evan and I are back together uh, Monday. Yeah? Okay, great. So we'll do Monday too because that's what we get paid to do. Thank you, guys. Have a great rest of your weekend. And thank you for listening to Hello, My Name is Craig.